the presence of the Lord, we gather today as a witness to the covenant of marriage between this man and this woman. This sacred worship begins in the sight and with the blessings of Almighty God. To define marriage correctly, we begin with the fact that marriage is divinely authored agreement between a man and a woman. This agreement focuses on the commandment of each person to Christ and then to the terms of the covenant. No man or woman should enter into the marriage covenant lightly. I, Dexter Harris, take thee page to be my wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forth, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, to death do us part according to God's holy ordinance. And thereto I pledge myself to you. Many of us have heard or said these sacred vows or the like. Many of us have seen or been in a wedding ceremony. Few of us have really saw or seen or understood what is happening in that moment. Few of us understand what marriage is all about. Our seeing and understanding of marriage can be likened to seeing stained glass windows. When you're driving by a church with stained glass windows, on the outside, it looks pale and dull, and it doesn't look very attractive. You see the silhouette, but you don't really see the beauty of the stained glass. But when you go inside of the church, you begin to see the radiance and the beauty and the brilliance of the colors as you look at the stained glass from the inside. The outside view of stained glass illustrates our society view of marriage. And unfortunately, many people in the church as well see church as being boring, a thief of freedom, or marriage is here to serve my happiness. And so we have this sort of dull and ingest view of marriage. My hope this morning is that we would have the inside view and see marriage in all of its beauty and color and brilliance the way God intended you to see it, the way God has intended us to experience marriage. So this morning, I want to help us see better by doing two things. I want to first define marital roles between a husband and a wife. And secondly, I want to explain how the gospel is the very foundation and divine substance that keeps imperfect people loving each other. Before we get started here, let me say my hope is that we can be real this morning, that we can be open, that we can lay our masks down this morning, because if you've been married long enough, you know that marriage is not easy. And too often, many of us go through the darkness of an ugly marriage all alone. And the word marriage for many of us kind of stirs up a tornado of emotions in our hearts. Some of us begin to experience anger and loss and confusion and tragedy and disappointment and regret and guilt when it comes to this word marriage. Marriage, I know, can for some be a pain to talk about. But I want you to know today, you are amongst the Lord's people. 
You are amongst your brothers and sisters, and you are loved, and you are cared for. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would work in such a way that he would give you relief, and he would give you comfort for the pain you have experienced in marriage, and to deal with even unresolved issues that some of us still carry around to this day. So I preach this message as an imperfect husband. I do not preach this message as a perfect husband. I do understand the difficulties, and there has been time and page in our marriage when I didn't think we would make it. There were times where our marriage looked like it was on the brinks of falling apart. And the only reason why this covenant remains today is because of the grace of Almighty God. Secondly, some of us are thinking about marriage in terms of the way that our society has defined it. America has been so poisoned and influenced by evil that some of our systems of thinking about marriage needs to be completely uprooted. We have so twisted, so perverted, so dishonored this sacred covenant into the original content of its meaning is lost. We shall feel, we should feel a sort of indignation that Frederick Douglass felt towards slavery. And these are his words. At a time like this, scorching irony, not convicting argument is needed. Oh, had I the ability and could reach the nation's ear, I would today pour out fiery stream of bittering ridicule, blasting reproach, withering sarcasm, stern rebuke, for it is not light that is needed, but fire. It is not gentle shower, but thunder. We need the storm, the whirlwind, the earthquake. The feeling of the nation must be quickened. The conscience of the nation must be aroused. The propriety of the nation must be exposed. Church, marriage is so sacred to God. It is so holy. It is such intertwined with the gospel that when it is messed with, we ought to have an indignation towards false teachings, towards marriage, that we should say we're not going to be soft when it comes to our position about marriage, but we are going to stand stern and firm, and we are going to preach the truth of marriage in the face of unrighteousness. Marriage is the first institution God has made. So goes marriage, so goes the community. So goes marriage, so goes the church. Marriage is foundational to society, which is why Satan is often attacking marriages. There is only one way to uproot dark darkness, and it is through the preaching of the word of God. If you have your Bibles, go to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 21. Or 22, I should say. No, 21, I'm sorry. When you dare say amen. And it reads, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, 
that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourished and cherished it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am not saying that it refers to Christ in the church. I'm sorry, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Family, let me start off with saying marriage doesn't work by pressuring or, 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 or demanding our needs from one another. A successful marriage can only work through the work of the Holy Spirit in our daily lives, day in and day out. So as I'm preaching, don't be nudging your spouse, saying, did you hear that? God's speaking to you. You know how we try to, you know, sanctify our spouse. None of that in here. But I will say, The amount of love and joy and fulfillment we experience in our marriage is determined by the extent we reflect the relationship between Christ and the church. I'm going to say that again. The extent that you experience love, joy, and peace in your marriage is to the degree that your marriage reflects Christ in the church. In our verse today, I want you to notice that Paul uses a repeated pattern of exhortations as he outlines the roles of wives and husbands. He first gives roles that each must assume. That's what you're going to see. Paul always gives the role first. And then secondly, he gives the manner of how how and the motor for why we should fulfill those God-ordained roles. So he gives the role first, and then he gives the motive behind why we should fulfill those roles. And then lastly, he follows it up with an analogy as it relates to Christ in the church. So I want you to keep this in mind as we navigate through this text. We pick up in verse 22. Why submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and in himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husband. I don't know why Paul had to start this section off with the most contentious verse in all of the Bible. This verse 22 here, people fight and bicker about this all day long. And mainly, the main reason people bicker about verse 22 is because of one word. You got it. Submit. Y'all struggling already, and we ain't even halfway through the sermon. Y'all like, we're not halfway through? Okay. (laughs) This word carries a lot of baggage in our culture. Most women associated with oppression, subjugation, or dominance. This is mainly due to the abuse by sinful men of using this word submit. Men who sit around the house and make their wives and children their slaves. These verses have been mishandled to serve the desire of adulterous, misogynistic, unholy men, insecure 
men who abuse this verse to control their wives to the point that they can't make one move without his permission. You can imagine why this verse is so hard to teach. But just because something has been misused doesn't mean that it's no good. In a similar way, during the days of slavery, slave owners misused the Bible in order to push their agenda. But as the slaves began to read the Bible for themselves, they took back the definition that was hijacked from them to oppress them. And in a similar way, what I want to do today with the word submit is to take it back from society and define it the way that God has intended it to be defined. Well, church, this word submit in Greek is, and I'm going to try this, y'all. Y'all pray for me. Hypatos. Does that sound right? Probably not. <laughs> but nevertheless, that's what, it, that's what it is. Is it on the screen? It's not on the screen. All right. It means to voluntarily rank yourself under another in orderly fashion. Let me say that again to the women in the building. The word submit that Paul uses here in Ephesians 5 is to voluntarily submit yourself under a higher ranking. All right? So your husband is the head over you, and you are to voluntarily, husbands, I want you to catch that word voluntarily. She is to volunteer. You're not to demand. She is to voluntarily submit herself to you. Now, let me pause because I want to talk to the unmarried women in the building. When you're thinking of a husband, I need you to think long and hard and say to yourself, am I okay with raising my hand and say I'm okay with submitting to him? You need to ask yourself, are you willing to sign up voluntarily and follow this man? If he's mistreating you and he doesn't love the Lord, I don't think it's a good idea for you to marry him. Okay? A lot of people say, Dexter, is it okay to marry a non-believer? Is it smart to eat a lawnmower? I don't think so. It's, it's as simple as that. It's not hard. It's not rocket science. And so we, as the leaders of the church, when you come to us and say, hey, I want you to check this man out, I hope when you bring him to us, it's before your feelings are caught up in him because we're going to tell you the truth. And the reason why we're going to tell you the truth is because when he gets done with you and, and, and he's not a godly man, you know who you're coming crying to, to your pastors and to your elders and to the man who really loved you. And then we got to tell you that he's no good for you. But you know when your feelings are caught up, it's hard to talk to people. They're irrational. Y'all just hating on us. Y'all don't want to see us make it. That's my boo. Blah, blah, blah. And so forth and so forth. So if you are looking for someone, you need to ask yourself, can I honestly submit to this man? Why? Why should wives submit to their husbands? Because he deserves it? Absolutely not. Because your submission to your husband is out of duty that you owe to Jesus Christ. This is why wives submit to their husbands, because they are submitting to the Lord. We see this rationale in verse 23. Drop your eyes down. 
For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, his body, and is himself its savior. I want to talk about this word head for a minute here. It really means authority. But before I do that, I want, to, I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. Before we talk about this term head, which means authority, I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. And you there say amen. All right, I'm going to go ahead and read. It says, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Did you see that? All right, so okay. Who is the head of Christ? God. Is there any difference in function between God and Christ? The answer is yes. They have different functions. They have different roles. Is there any difference in equality? Between God and Christ? The answer is no. Is there any difference in function between husband and wife? The answer is yes. Is there any difference in equality? The answer is no. Consequently, roles do not determine worth. And we got to understand this because a lot of times we think that roles define us or roles, uh, or we derive our worth from our roles, but this is incorrect. Just because you're my boss doesn't mean that you're worth more than me. That just means you got a title, and so you better treat me as such. Because when we leave this place, neither one of us got a title. We just human beings. We got different job descriptions. We got different functions, but we are still made in the image of God, which means that we are equal to one another. So husbands, understand your authority is not to be understood as you having more worth than your wife. She is equal to you just as Christ is equal to the Father. A husband's authority doesn't mean he is better than his wife at all. So when Paul says the husband is the head, the, the Greek word, here I go again, y'all. Y'all going to have to look that up. I, I, I really jacked that one up. But it's K-E-P-H-A-L-E. Y'all know I'm still working on English. So show a little grace. Simply put, it means authority. Literally like the head of a corporation, leader in authority over it. What does male headship look like? Look at verse 23. Paul explains what biblical male headship looks like. He said, the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. I want to be crystal clear here. Husbands do have authority in the marriage and should exercise it. But he should use his authority like Christ does for his church. You are not to use your authority to lord over your wife and to abuse her. She shouldn't be scared of you. If she's scared of you, you're not leading biblically. Serious issues there, and I'm not apologizing for that. How did Christ lead the church? It says in the book of Mark, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He also says in Luke 22, 26, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. How do you now look at that verse and say my authority is you so that I can get pleasure and get what I want? You cannot interpret that at all that way. 
Husbands, we need to have vital interest in her welfare. God help the husband who uses his headship as a license for dominance or lordship or bullying. Headship has limits. And here are the limits for your headship. Never command it what God forbids. And never forbid what God commands. Let me say that again. Never commanding what God forbids. And never forbidding what God commands. If you lead in a chauvinistic, misogynistic way, you are not leading biblically. What believer doesn't want to follow Christ, wives? His love and his care for us attract us to Jesus. We voluntarily want to submit to him. Because of what he has done on the cross for all that he has done for us, we want to. Male headship is about being the spiritual priest in the home. It's about being the prophet and the physical provider and the protector of your household. God has called you to husbands. What wives, what wife doesn't want to voluntarily submit to a husband that is willing to die for her? What, what wife in the room wouldn't do that? And if you are not willing to submit to a man that is submissive to Christ and trying to lead you in love, God help you. A godly man is so hard to find. He is a rare breed and a hot commodity. <laughs> and a lot of us, if you got a godly man in the home, you need to be uplifting him and encouraging him, not going against his authority, beating him down. You need to be supporting him. So often, People understanding of your husband is derived for how you talk about him. One person said, what would people think about your husband if they never met him and all they had to go off of is what you had to say? How would they look at your husband? A godly man is hard to find. Paul says in verse 24, now as the church submits to Christ, this is the analogy that he gives. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. The church is to follow Christ. Where Christ goes, the church goes. Where, 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 where Christ goes, we go. We, Christ, are not follower, Christ is not a follower of us. We are a follower of him. And so wives ought to follow their husband. So it is when a, wife, when a wife doesn't submit to her husband, it is like your body going in two directions. Can you imagine your head going this way and your body going this way? You look so dysfunctional and jacked up, people are going to think you're crazy, and you're going to end up in the crazy house. And a lot of our marriages look like that dysfunctional. The wife is going this way, the husband is going this way, and it is not glorifying to God. Wives, when you make leading difficult, it is unenjoyable. And when you want to do your own thing and not support your husband's leadership, that is a problem. And I'm not saying that you can't have dreams and goals and things outside of your marriage. Please know that I'm not saying that. But the husband should set the vision and the direction of the home, and hopefully he's following Christ. Now, Paul says, in everything. Now, I got to pause and stop right there because a lot of people like to point this out too. They get in marriage counseling. You see right there. You see that everything, you need to be following me in everything. You see what I'm saying? God said it right there. The same way they use that uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Y'all know what verse I'm talking about, verse 3. Uh-huh, duties, wifely duties. I told y'all we're going to be real this morning. In the context, but in context, 
Yeah, some of y'all catching on to that verse. Some of y'all went to go look it up, chapter 7, verse 3. Uh-huh, okay. In the context, in context, though, he is talking about Christ-like headship following him and everything. Wives, you must never follow your husbands into sin. Ever. Ever. Christ is the head over him. If the vice president tells me to do something and the president of the United States tells me to do something else, guess which one I'm following? The president of the United States. Why? Because he has more authority over the vice president. The same way in the book of Acts when they said, we want you to stop teaching in the name of Jesus. They said, we have to obey God instead of man. And in a similar way, if your husband is drawing you into sin, you have the right to stand against him with Jesus. But the way that you stand against him is what matters, the manner in which you stand against your husband. You need to stand against him with a spirit of gentleness and calmness and love. Oftentimes, wives do not win their husbands over because they want to badmouth and talk back and say all kind of crazy things to him instead of having a gentle spirit. And you know what causes you to have a gentle spirit is when you know who's fighting for you. When you know that God is fighting for you, you don't have to fight that man. You pray for that man. You go before God before that man. You don't have to be a hammer. You can be soft as a pillow, and God will change his heart around. The attitude by which you do this is key. Peter says that some wives have won their husbands over by the manner in which they carry out their submission. Paige and I, when we got married at the age of 19, and I was working at the bank and also volunteering full-time in ministry, and Oftentimes, she would get angry at me because she's like, you're not showing me any attention. But the manner in which she was doing it, and I'm going to get on my scene in a minute. Y'all don't think that I'm ratting my wife out here, all right? (laughs) But in the manner in which she was doing it, I couldn't hear her. The way she was coming at my head, you know how it is. You know, you, you know how it is, man. When, when, when wives come at our head, we got to remind ourselves that we are men. You ain't going to be talking to me like that. You know, you, we, we get all deep in the voice or whatever. She like, whatever, whatever, then. I'm out of here. I'm out of here. I can't stand you. I can't stand you. You got extensions. I ain't got no extensions. And it goes on and on and on, back and forth and back and forth. I may get in trouble for that one. I want to remind y'all of the cross and what Christ has done. And that word grace, but wives, here's your example. Though Jesus, being equal with God in equality, he submitted himself to the will of the Father. Not my will, but his will be done. Where the Father goes, so I go also. Where the Father moves, so I move also. Was his submission in following the Father take away from his worth? Not at all. But instead, he followed the will of the Father. Why? To bring glory to God. And the reason why you submit to your husband is so that you can do what? Bring glory to God. Your marriage is not about you. Your marriage is about the gospel. Husbands, now is your turn. Husband loves your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her. 
having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that he might be holy and without blemish, that she may be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now I talked about male headship because the previous verses demanded it. But these next verses are dealing strictly with the duties of a husband. They are as follow. Love her, sanctify her, and love her as yourself. I'm going to go through all three of those. Paul starts off with a chilling injunction. Husbands, love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. It is crystal clear what it means to love your wives. It is sacrificial love on display. The Bible says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, which means that you are obligated to love her whether she is perfect or not. God has called you to love her as Christ loved the church. I love the way one preacher put it. One guy came in his office and said, uh, Pastor, I don't feel like loving my wife. She's this, 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 and that. He says, well, you're still obligated to, to love her. He said, well, I don't feel like she's my wife. Well, he says, well, she is, she is at least your neighbor. The Bible says, love your neighbor as yourself. He said, I don't feel like she's my neighbor. He said, you're still obligated to love her because the Bible says, love your enemies. And so if she's feeling like your enemy... You still got to love her. Ain't no way of getting out of it. You have got to love her. And if we be honest, this is very hard to do. But even more when society is against it. You have to understand the context in which Paul is writing. His context of, uh, of writing about marriage is no different from the context that we live in. The ancient pagan marriages were breathing adultery and belittling, and misogyny. Here's some things that we see from some ancient writings in regards to marriage. Some people were getting divorces from their wives because they put too much salt on their food. It's crazy, ain't it? It's salty. Done with you. You know I got high blood pressure. You're trying to kill me. I canceled the insurance policy. I was just messing around. But we laugh about it, but this is real. This happens in our world. People treat their wives like this. And it's horrible. It's going to be hell to pay for treating our wives in this manner. One writer says, we have prostitutes for the sake of pleasure. We have concubines for the sake of daily cohabitation. We have wives for the purpose of having children legitimately and having a faithful guardian for all our household affairs. Socrates said, is there anyone to whom you entrust more serious matters, matter, matters than to your wife? Is there anyone to whom you talk less? How does these views look in some comparison to what Paul is asking out of the Christian? Paul is asking polar opposite from us. Polar opposite. These views look disgusting and horrible in sight of what God has called husbands to do. 
Our wives are not our doormats, but fellow heirs with us in the inheritance of Christ. God says, love her as such. Loving your imperfect wife is going to cost you something, husbands. It may cost you a sports game that you love. It may cost you hanging out with your guys. It may cost you some earthly pursuits, but loving her is a priority. It is not optional at all. This is what Christ did for you. He gave up everything, left heaven, gave up comfort for you. We should be praying for her in detail and attentive to her like Christ is with the church. Lastly, one thing Christ is to his bride, he is faithful. Jesus never, ever, 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 ever cheats on his church. And husbands, you should never cheat on your wives. Sacrificial love, husbands, means this in marriage. And going back to me and Paige, uh, during that time in ministry, she would be angry because I was spending so much time in ministry, and I would get angry at her. And say, I'm doing the work of the Lord. Why are you not helping me? Why are you not on my side? But what I've learned is this older man told me, Dexter, ministry can, be, can feel like a second wife to your wife. Don't ever let ministry become a second wife in the eyes of Paige. And what I've learned is that her nagging sometimes is God wisdom to me that I'm out of balance and I am idolizing things. And sometimes, husbands, we have to listen to the fussing of our wives because sometimes in that God is trying to get your attention that you're doing something that is not healthy for you. Let me ask the husbands in the room some questions. Does Christ love his church When she is not obedient, he does. So husbands love their wives when they fail to submit. Yes. Does Christ run out of patience with his church? No. So husbands run out of patience with their wives. Somebody said yes. (laughs) You know what? I'm going to drink some water on them. I feel the lightning coming. (laughs) Has Christ endured loss and affliction and rebellion for his church? Yes. Will Christ ever divorce his church? No. After 2,000 years, he is still faithful to her. And some of us can't last 10 years, 25 years, but God has been enduring his church For 2,000 years, and he still loves her the same way he loved her when he got out of the grave. Church, you got husbands, you have to understand that your love for your wife cannot derive from yourself. You cannot muster this up. You cannot do this on your own. If you are not seeking the face of God, if you are not seeking the strength in the gospel, you will not succeed in loving her the way God has called you to love her. He goes on, why do we love her in the way that we should? In verse 27, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or such such things that she might be holy and without blemish. Husbands, we sacrifice ourselves for her spiritual growth. 
this is our primary concerns as husbands. Is she growing in the gospel of grace? We can't afford to quit in this area. She may be frustrated with you, but you cannot quit husbands. You are to sacrifice yourself in such a way that you, uh, you spur on her spiritual growth. You should want to see your wife flourish in the gospel, flourish in the knowledge of Christ. The third duty derives from the next point. He says self-love, verse 28, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourished and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. When we love our wives as Christ loved us, it is like us nourishing our own bodies. When, you hungry, do you, when, when you're hungry, do you feed yourself? Yes, you do. When you're thirsty, do you give yourself something to drink? Yes, you do. You do not ignore the needs of your body. And Paul is plainly saying, husbands, you should not ignore the needs of your wife, but to attend to her needs. One of the things that I found out is that uh, marriages that, that are in tune with one another, sometimes we'll play these games in the young adult ministry, and when the married couples are there, we'll say it, uh, uh, it'll be multiple choice. Do, uh, do you think they'll pick this, they'll pick this, or they'll pick that? And the husbands and the wives are like, I know she's going to pick that. I know she's going to pick that. Why do they know that? Because they're in tune with one another. They're spending time with one another. Some husbands, you can ask them, hey, bro, you think you could do this? No, nah, man, I can't do that, bro. Why? Because, because my wife, she, she's just not going to go for that. How you know your wife ain't going to go for that? I just know my wife. And we in a similar way, husbands, we need to just know our wives. Now, I'm not saying that we understand them every moment of every day. Because wives, y'all know. <laughs> Some of y'all told me we don't understand ourselves. <laughs> but husbands, we are to strive to get a PhD in that area of our marriage, which is our wife. I want to talk about how do we live this out, being that doing these roles are so hard. They're so difficult. Wives don't always submit. Husbands don't always love their wives the way that they should. So how do we get through this? The gospel is the foundation to marriage. As you can see, all of Paul's illustrations is Christ in the church. If you want to know the key to a successful marriage, here's the key. If we are going to love our spouse when they fall short in their roles, we have to believe the gospel for ourselves and for them. We both must know that Christ died for their sins, and so did he die for my sins. The power to forgive is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I must believe in the gospel in order to forgive you. There's no relationship that survives apart from forgiveness. Paul says in 1 Timothy who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Paul is talking about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But when he uses that word ransom there, it is more than someone sending a note saying, I got your child, you need to leave money at the door if you want them back. That's not the ransom note that Paul is talking about. It's more of a ransom note saying, if you want your child, you're going to have to give yourself in exchange for them. And what Jesus has done for his church, for his bride, 
is he has taken on the ransom note and he has exchanged himself in our place so that we may go free, so that we may have forgiveness, so that sin would no longer have power over us, so that condemnation would no longer have power over us. Christ laid down his life for you so that you can go free. And if you don't get that, when marriage difficulties come up against you, it is going to be impossible for you to keep a healthy marriage. That has to be the foundation of your marriage. I want to draw two points of application here. And then we're going to go into a time of Q&A. Family, the man that exercises his muscles, the stronger they become. And such is his reward. But the man who does not exercise his muscles he loses them, and so is his penalty. If you neglect these application points, it is like the man who did not exercise. Your marriage will remain weak. Wives, how will you choose to live with your husbands from this point on? You'll be challenged today to make a choice to submit a rebel against his every decision. When we fall short as man, will you gossip about him? Or will you choose to pray for your husband? Speak against his sin with, gentle, with a gentle spirit and fully trusting the spirit to do his work in his life. I challenge you this week to start faithfully praying for your husband. And where there is tension, to communicate with gentleness and encourage him and let him know that you trust the God in him. Husbands, you have heard God's call on your life to love your wives, as Christ loved the church. Will you continue to treat her like she doesn't matter after God's command? I challenge you to stop making excuses on why you are failing her and give her the attention and care she needs and make, make her a priority. Man, I want to give you a few practical ways to nourish and cherish your wife. Number one, if you have children, take the children away and give her quiet time so that she may read the word of God. The other thing that I would encourage husbands to do is to give her at least once a month time to hang with her girlfriends so she can just let her hair down and have a bit of fun. Take at least 24 to 48 hours out of the year for you guys to get away and to spend some time together. Take time to get into her head, into her heart, and create romantic memories continue to date. One of the things, one of my New Year's resolutions is to take Paige on dates more, and Kim Barry and a bunch of other people are to hold me accountable for that. And so, husbands, let's hold each other accountable when it comes to caring for our wives. And community, as a community, we need to hold each other responsible. And not only does Christ call married couples to live out the gospel and to submit to one another and love one another, but in verse 21, it says every one of you submit to one another. And so as a community, we need to be submitting and loving one another. And this causes a culture where, where healthy marriages can grow so that we all should be modeling this submission and love for one another. I don't know where you are in your marriage this morning. I don't know if you're struggling. I don't know if you're on the brink of divorce. But I'll tell you this. If Jesus can raise the dead, he can raise dead marriages. 
There is hope because he came, he died, and he rose again, and he is seated at the right hand of God. He will give you the Holy Spirit to live this out. As you trust Jesus with your soul, so trust him with your